Well, good morning, church. It's been a great weekend here at Mount Horeb. We had a wonderful concert on Friday night. It was packed full of people as people came to hear Matthew West and other artists. And it's been great this morning with people are here. It's not raining on a weekend, right? No, no snow. You know, it's like you move back south again, you know. But anyway, we're so glad you're here. We're beginning a new series this morning uh, called Moving Beyond Me. Uh, I was in one of the classrooms and before I came in here and and they had a little thing out that says, a fill in the blank said, it's about me. Well, today we're moving beyond me, right? And we live in a very me-centered world, which makes it difficult to see beyond our own lives, our own agendas. If we choose to stay self-focused, we choose to stay self-centered, I believe we'll miss what God wants to do in us. We also miss what God has done for us and what he wants to do through us. So moving beyond me is to understand that God has done something for me, done something for you that I can never do for myself and that you can never do for yourself. Now, this has happened twice at our house. I hope it has never happened to your house, but walk into the garage and you smell this strong odor and then you see water on the floor beneath the freezer and somebody, maybe me, left the freezer door open slightly over the weekend or for a few days, right? You open the door and you smell the rotting, decaying food, takes your breath away. Now you've got a choice to make, right? Uh, you can blame somebody else. You can shut the door, let it refreeze, and pretend it didn't happen. <laughs> you can even paint the outside of the freezer and make everything look brand new, right? Or you do the right thing. And you roll up your sleeves, go into the freezer, start pulling the stuff out, that nasty, spoiled, decaying, rotten stuff, and throw it away. And then you get the disinfectant, you go in and you kill the germs and completely clean the freezer from the inside out. All that to say, all of us have some things inside of us that need to be cleaned out. I think this is a, a wonderful illustration of how we come to God. We come to God with our messes and our spoiled stuff that needs to be cleaned out. In fact, if you look at Galatians 5, it talks about some of that. Galatians chapter 5 says, the things your sinful old self wants to do are sex, sins, sinful desires, wild living, worshiping false gods, witchcraft, hating, fighting, being jealous, being angry, arguing, divided into little groups and thinking the other groups are wrong, false teaching, wanting something someone else has, killing other people, using strong drink, wild parties, all things like these. And Paul goes on to say in his letter, I told you before, and I'm telling you again that those who do these things will have no place in the holy nation of God. As I read through that list of sins in Galatians, I, I thought it could be a good bumper for Netflix or for Prime Video because it really, the world hasn't changed a lot in the last 2,000 years. The same sinful desires that Paul writes about 2,000 years ago are still in our midst today. And so the question is, how can we change? 
How can we clean up the mess? Who can clean us up on the inside? And the scripture I'm going to give you today, I believe, is one of the most profound scriptures in all of the Bible. It's the first verse I ever memorized. I would encourage you to memorize it. It captures the meaning of how one becomes a Christian. Galatians 2.20 tells us that only Jesus has the power to clean us on the inside. We talked about this. The choir just sang a beautiful anthem. The songs were talking about the blood of Jesus that has the power to wash us clean, to remove the decay and the rotten stuff in our lives and take away our sins. Not just take away our sins. You see, whenever I clean the freezer out, I get the unpleasant task of taking the remains to the, you know, the recycling place. And don't they love to see people come who have cleaned out their freezer, right? But the Bible says that when we invite Jesus Christ into our lives to cleanse cleanse us, he spreads our sins as far as the east as the west and does not remember them anymore. He completely changes us. And I believe in Galatians 2.20, the Apostle Paul explains what happened to him and what can happen to us when we experience conversion when we invite Jesus Christ to come into our lives. But before we read Galatians 2.20, I want to take a step back and look at Paul's life before his encounter with Jesus, what his life was like. You see, Paul's pre-Christian name was Saul, and he was a devout Pharisee with a me-first agenda to destroy Christianity before it could even get started. His agenda was to expose Jesus as a fraud and a false prophet. He was self-focused. He had a selfish agenda. As I preached last week in the auditorium about counting the cost, and I'll get into this in just a moment, but the, the agenda of Saul prior to Jesus is not a whole lot different than the agenda that's going on in a post Christian world today. The people are intent in removing Jesus from the culture, removing Jesus from the public square. So picking up chapter nine, meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord, Saul said or asked. I am Jesus. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city and you'll be told what you must do. Now talking about moving beyond me, right? Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus, and once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. And all those who heard him were astonished and asked, isn't this the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on this name Jesus? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. Now, I believe that the conversion of Saul, who became known as the Apostle Paul, is one of the most powerful and impactful conversion 
conversions in the history of Christianity. And so as we read this text this morning, the one that I believe is the most profound maybe text in the New Testament, and I believe it is the cornerstone of moving beyond me. And as I looked at this series we're doing, moving beyond me, it's got to start here. So if you're able, would you stand for the reading of God's word? Paul says in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. How about this? Let's read this together. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me and the life I now live in the body. I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for Paul's conversion. We thank you for the impact he made upon the world, upon the Bible, upon the kingdom of God, and upon our lives. And Father God, I pray that you would take these words and help us to understand what you have given us in Jesus Christ. May we learn to live these words. May they come alive in us. And if there's anyone listening today that has not yet invited Jesus into their life, that they would do so today. And we ask all this in the strong name of the living Lord Jesus Christ. Amen and amen. You may be seated. As we break this short verse down, I'm going to kind of do this like a Bible study. I'm going to take it phrase by phrase. And, and we want to look at what actually happens when you and I experience conversion. When we move beyond me. And I believe the first step is to understand that we've been pardoned. There's pardon. And to be pardoned means to be released from punishment, to be forgiven, to have our offenses canceled. When we're pardoned for an offense, the offense is removed and the person is no longer considered guilty. And the Bible says that the pardon is the forgiveness of our sins, the forgiveness of our past sins. Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. I have been crucified with Christ. Now, I believe that has a twofold meaning. The first is Christ was crucified for my sins. Christ was crucified for your sins. He died to pardon our past sins, our present sin, and our future sins. In his crucifixion, and we're going to remember his crucifixion in a few minutes when we receive Holy Communion. In his crucifixion, the blood of Jesus Christ covers our sins. He's, he's taken all of our sins upon himself. You know, Paul says in Romans that Jesus Christ died for our sins while we were still sinners. So again, before you and I believed in Jesus Christ, our sins were already covered. They had been crucified by Jesus Christ. Uh, Paul says this in Galatians 5.24, those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. Somebody say amen to that. Amen to that. Crucified them there. Now, second thing I would say about this part of the verse is the old me 
is nailed to the cross. My old goals, my old habits, my old mistakes, my old sins, my old life has been crucified. And when Paul says, I have been crucified, he means that his sinful self has died. The old man who deserved to die, the man who drugged Christians from their homes, drugged families before the Pharisees, who put him in prison and sometimes killed them, says, that person is gone. That person has been crucified on a cross with Jesus. Now, I want to clear up some misconceptions about crucifixion and being crucified with Christ is that God did not want to crucify Saul. And I want you to hear this. God does not want to crucify you. We sometimes try to paint God as some harsh, judgmental God who wants to crucify us. That's not true. He's not asking Paul to die for his sins. He's not asking you to die today because you've sinned. Now, he's going to ask Paul, and we see it lived out, to live a life of sacrifice, to live a life of service because of what Christ has done for him. He's calling us, if you've received Christ into your life, to live a life of service, to live a life of sacrifice. Now, the second thing I want you to know, a misconception, is we cannot crucify ourselves. No one can crucify themselves. It's, it's impossible to put yourself on a cross and, and nail yourself to a cross. It can't be done. And I don't recommend you find someone else to crucify you either. You know, it's not a good thing. Now, I, I, I sometimes share, I'm teaching a Bible study on Wednesday nights on Nehemiah and leadership. And, and I can tell you that there are times that I get uh, criticism. We're going to get criticized as Christians. Um, I, I appreciate constructive criticism as a pastor. But again, we're not about being crucified. And we're not, as certainly as Christians, we're not called to crucify anyone else. Because the one who we love and serve has already been crucified, right? And when we invite Jesus into our lives, he begins to change our lives through his crucifixion. So pardon. Secondly, personal. Paul says, I no longer live but Christ lives in me. It doesn't get any more personal than that. Do you know that if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you, you've asked him to come into your life, he lives there. He lives in your life. Now, Lynn and I have been married going, will be 45 years in December, so we're in the midst of our 44th year, 45th year of being married, I guess. I don't know. It's confusing to me. We've been married 44. We're on our way to 45, right? And we've been, you know, living together for these 44 years or so as we move toward 45. She was here at 9 o'clock and corrected me. But anyway, um, but as close as we are and as connected as we are, Lynn does not live in me and I don't live in her. But the Bible tells me that Jesus lives in me and Jesus lives in her. That's profound. And I'm not sure we have fully ever received that truth, that Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit lives in you, Christ in us. You and I as believers are spiritually attached to Jesus Christ. Now, all of us were created in the image of God, but because of our sin, we have not always reflected the image of God. 
But what this means to me is I become a believer in Jesus. I now have Jesus' DNA inside of me. The very character of Jesus Christ is in me, and the very character of Jesus Christ is in you. And I'm called to reflect his character. I'm I'm called to move from a me-centered life to a Christ-centered life. I'm called, as you're called, to step down from the throne. Now, the reality is that all of us have a throne in our soul. We have a throne in our, in, our, in our heart. We have a throne in our psyche. And usually we're on the throne. We're calling the shots. It's all about me. But when you become a Christian, I'm telling you that Jesus wants to sit on the throne. He doesn't want to sit anywhere else. But how many times do we set him outside? How many times do we leave him in the car? Now, Jesus, I'm going to go in here, and you probably better stay in the car. That's not what this verse says. This verse says that Christ lives in me, and he won't live anywhere else in your life than on the throne. And so it's, it's, it's not his desire, his will, his purpose for you and I to set him over here. You know, Jesus, I'm here on church on Sunday. You're on the throne here, man. But on Tuesday, when the, when the Kentucky Wildcats come into Columbia, how about stay in the car, you know? Uh, just stay out there, and, and if I need you, I'll come get you, right? It's a, it doesn't work that way, right? He is with us 24-7. It's personal. Now, I love these words as Paul speaks, writes them in Romans uh, chapter 6. And I want to read from the living paraphrase, living Bible paraphrase. Now, this is good stuff. I want these words to soak over you. It begins by saying, of course not. Should we keep on sinning when we do not have to? It's a good question, isn't it? For sin's power over us was broken when we became Christians and were baptized to become a part of Jesus Christ. Through his death, the power of your sinful nature was shattered. Somebody say amen to that. The sinful nature that you struggle with, that the devil wants to convince you that is still in control of your life, has been shattered by Jesus Christ. Your old sin-loving nature was buried with him by baptism when he died. Now, don't keep digging it up. It's been buried. And when God the Father with glorious power brought him back to life again, you were given his wonderful new life to enjoy. For you have become part of him. And so you died with him, so to speak. And when he died, and now you share his new life and shall rise as he did. Your old evil desires were nailed to the cross with him. That part of you that loves to sin was crushed and fatally wounded. But here's the problem. The old part of you that loves to sin was crushed and fatally wounded, but you got it on life support. You've got it on life support. You're trying to keep it alive because somehow we've been deceived to think keeping that old stuff alive is fun. And I'm just going to go there and play a little bit. But then Jesus, I'm coming back. I'm coming back. That's not what the, that's not what the word of God teaches That part of you that loves to sin was crushed and fatally wounded so that your sin-loving body is no longer under sin's control and no longer needs to be a slave to sin. That's good news, is it not? Good news. That when we come to 
Jesus by faith, our old self has been crucified, buried, and we've been given new life. You see, when we receive Jesus Christ, we receive the identity of Christ. We no longer should live for our own personal agendas. We may have the same body, the same mind, the same blood running through our body, but through the Holy Spirit, Jesus Christ lives in us, and his agenda should be our agenda. His way should be our way. His purpose should become our purpose. And, and whenever Jesus Christ lives in us, we don't take our worth from the world. How many of us struggle with finding worth and value by what, because of what the world says about us? When the creator of the world, Jesus himself, is living inside of you and says that you are good and you have a purpose. You know, last week I talked in my sermon about counting the costs, that it is costly. It is difficult to be identified as a follower of Jesus. Whenever you let the world know that Jesus Christ lives in you, whenever you put on social media and you post it, that you are a follower of Jesus or that you believe in the Bible and you believe in the truth of God's word, you're probably going to lose some followers because it is not the most popular thing today to be a Christ follower. Now, our world has changed. If we look back to the middle of the 20th century, when I began ministry and did a portion of my ministry, more than 90% of the people living in the U.S. consider themselves to be Christian. In fact, in the 20th century, you were Christian by default. It was hard not to be a Christian. The laws and the norms and the values were based on Christian thinking. Institutions like schools and businesses and government widely supported Christian ideals. For much of our history, it was difficult not to be a Christian but fast forward to today. Fast forward to the 21st century where the majority of people in our culture are not Christian and that Christianity is under increasing attack in an in a anti-Christian bias in the media. We, we see the breakdown of the family. We see the disruption of biblical anthropology and the Christian understanding of sexuality. And we have shifted from absolute truth to believe whatever you want to believe. And being a Christian is now considered offensive to much of the culture. I would tell you that when you identify with Jesus, there will be a high cost. But so it was true for the Apostle Paul. When he made the decision to respond to the interruption, the divine interruption on the Damascus Road, and to invite Jesus to come into his life, it changed his life. And it became a life of struggle and persecution. People were offended that he had moved from Judaism to Christianity. But I would tell you this, that the church has always thrived under pressure. And the church has rarely thrived when things are friendly. And so today, as we identify as Christians in an increasingly post-Christian world, I believe it's one of the most exciting times to be a believer in Jesus. We need to quit complaining about the world being so anti-Christian. 
It gives us a chance to share Christ with a lot of people who need to receive Jesus Christ. You know, Jesus prepared the disciples to go into a pre-Christian world, a pre-gospel world, and they turned the world upside down. Today, Jesus Christ is calling us to go into a post-Christian world and to turn it upside down and to bring the authentic message of God's love and God's grace to a world who's desperate for it. Now, how is all this possible? Power. Again, Paul says, the life I now live in the body. You see, when Christ lives in you and when you acknowledge that Christ lives in you, when you release the power of Jesus Christ living in you, it changes things. I love 1 John 4, 4. You are of God, little children, and have overcome them because he who is in you is greater than he that is in the world. When I go into the world, when I walk out of this building, when I leave my house, I know that there is one in me, Jesus Christ, through the power of the Holy Spirit, that's greater than anything I'm going to face that day. Any opposition that comes against me, the one inside of me named Jesus is greater through the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus Christ in us gives us the power we need to change. And I'm going to give you these. You can write these down. Change is the work of the Holy Spirit. You cannot change yourself. You'll be frustrated trying to change yourself. You, 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 here's the good news. Is that whenever the freezer of your heart is full of decay and rotten stuff, is that God pours his Holy Spirit in you and, and, and there's not a better disinfectant than that. Miss Bessie Howe, which was a Sunday school teacher whenever I was a young person being taken to church by my step-grandfather, she would say that, that, that God has a great big bucket of love and he pours it in our hearts to wash them clean. See, that's the power of the Holy Spirit in us. Change is the result of a growing personal relationship with Jesus. This, this relationship needs to be growing. It's a dynamic relationship. You and I should be getting closer and closer to Jesus Christ daily through developing and letting him develop that relationship with us. Then I would say this, change occurs from the inside out. Change occurs from the inside out. God is more concerned about what's going on inside of you than what is going on outside of you. We have sometimes what I would call a drive-through car wash mentality. We just want to, we want to be clean on the outside. We want to look good to everybody, put on our Sunday best and look good, you know, sound good. But on the inside, we're struggling. On the inside, we're coming apart. And, and again, the true message of the gospel is that God wants to get, in, is get inside of us and change us from the inside out. And then I would tell you that this change is a process. It's not going to happen overnight. It's a process. Now, I believe that salvation happens instantly. In, in, in a moment, you and I can experience salvation. You and I can experience grace we can have Jesus in our life, but the change is going to take some time. It begins with salvation. It moves from salvation to justification where we realize that our sins have been taken away. But then, then there's a next step in the process that we Methodists call sanctification. It's a process where we seek to allow Christ to gain more and more influence in our lives, where we become more like the person that God made us to be. 
It's a sanctification process. It's where God is working in us. John Wesley, the founder of the Methodist movement, taught us to strive for perfection. Did you know that? That he believed, he took seriously when Jesus said in Matthew 5, be you perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. Wesley thought we as Methodists should be doing that. That we shouldn't settle for anything less than perfection. Now you say, how is that possible? And Wesley would argue that it's, by, it's how you, that you will grow to the point where you love God with all your heart, mind, and soul. And that you will love your neighbor as yourself. You know, we focus on don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. Wesley said, and, and I believe Jesus was teaching us, I believe Paul was saying to us, just love God with everything you got. Love God more than you love anything else. And if you love God more than you love anything else, things are going to fall into the right place. And if you love your neighbor as you love yourself, it's going to make an impact in the world. We call that sanctification. Now, what happens whenever we blow it? What happens when we leave the freezer door open and some corruption creeps into our life? You know, all of us are sinners. And the first verse I learned was Galatians 2.20. The second verse I learned... You need to learn this verse, 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us. You see, it's doubtful that as long as we're on the planet, that we're going to be sinless. It's very doubtful that we're going to be sinless. But let me tell you this. God expects you and I to sin less. He expects us to sin less. He expects us to be growing in that relationship with Jesus so we will sin less. We won't be sinless, but we will sin less. And the final step in the process, which we look forward to, is something called glorification. Say glorification. It's a, it's a theological word we don't use a lot in the church. It, we can base it on 1 John 3, 2. For, when we, for we know when Christ appears, we shall be like him we shall see him as he is. See, glorification happens when you and I step into eternity. When we see Jesus face to face, we're going to be totally transformed. We will no longer be riddled by sin. It's that great passage in Revelation 20. And then there'll be no, there in heaven, there'll be no more death. There'll be no more suffering. There'll be no more tears. We'll experience glorification when we see Jesus face to face. It either happen when we die or if Jesus comes back before we die. Glorification. It's our final destination. Now, let me say this. I was listening to a podcast this week on this. And, and here, here's something we need to pay attention to. Is sometimes as Christians, we think that glorification should happen now. And that we should, everybody should treat us right. And the world should be perfect. And things should go my way every day. And I just can't understand. I'm a following Jesus. And, and these people do bad things to me. Folks, we live in a broken world. We live in a world marred by sin, my sin, your sin, and everybody else's sin. And that's not going to be removed from our existence until we step into eternity. It is going to be an ongoing struggle. So don't blame that on God. It's a broken world that we live in, and God is reaching out to us with his love to change us and prepare us for that final place. Now, the last thing I would say to you this morning is partnership. Paul says, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Loved me and gave himself for me. See, again, Jesus did all this so I can move beyond me to become who God is calling me to be. And we do all of this by faith. 
you know, it's not you working harder. It's not you trying harder. You can't change yourself by willing it, but you can change yourself by faith. Faith that believes that God can move mountains. To move beyond me, I've got to believe that Jesus Christ can change me and will change me. I've got to believe that Jesus Christ is living in me by faith. I can't go to the heart surgeon. He, he, can, he can't come, cut me open and find a physical evidence of Jesus. But how I live my life, Lynn should see evidence that Jesus is living in me. When I'm interacting with people, they should see evidence that Jesus is living inside of me. And so I walk by faith that he's doing that in my life. Hebrews 12 says this, let us keep looking to Jesus. Our faith comes from him. You don't muster up faith yourself. Our faith comes from him and he is the one who makes it perfect. He did not give up when he had to suffer shame and die on a cross. He knew of the joy that would be his later. Now he is sitting at the right side of God. Sinful men spoke words of hate against Christ. He was willing to take such shame from sinners. Think of this so you will not get tired and give up. My friends, this is a profound truth. That when you leave here today or you turn the TV off or the computer off, that you will know beyond a shadow of a doubt that Jesus Christ is living in your life. Last week I talked about the cost of not counting the cost. And there's a cost if we do not acknowledge this truth. We will have untapped potential. We will have an uncertain future. And we will never know the peace. And we'll never know the joy. And we'll never know the purpose God has for our life. If we stay on the throne of our life and don't put Jesus on the throne, we're going to miss it. We're going to miss it. And I don't want any of you to miss it. I shared a story last week, and I want to share it again because it was, it's made a, such an impact on me. The, one of my favorite songs out right now, uh, other than Ann Wilson, what she sang here Friday night, which was amazing. That's not my, now my new favorite song. But prior to Friday night, my favorite song was the new song, The Woman at the Well. It's a contemporary song written by a young woman named Olivia Lane. If you haven't listened to it, you need to go Google it and listen to The Woman at the Well. But I was so intrigued by this song that I wanted to know her story. And so I Googled it and I, and I came across her testimony. And, and she shares her testimony that she grew up in a Methodist church. But in the, her Methodist church, it was about religion and rules and ritual. And she never understood that it was about a relationship. That this God, Jesus living inside of you, a personal relationship. And so at the age of 16, she chose to be an atheist and did not believe in God anymore. She also, at the age of 16, moved to L.A. to become an actress. And she said that didn't turn out real well. She made a lot of mistakes, did some things she shouldn't have done. So she moves to Nashville to become a songwriter. And there she writes a couple good songs, and she starts traveling the world with four guys, a band, and they travel all over the world singing. She's a very talented young lady. But she began to lose her voice, and she couldn't sing anymore. So she went back home to Nashville and started trying to get healthy. And somebody suggested she, would go, she should go to a therapist. So she went to a therapist and in conversation, the therapist says, you need to get in touch with your spirituality. I'm an atheist. 
That'd be spirituality. So she said, okay, I started looking at different religions and I, I, can't, I kept coming back to Jesus. I would come back to Jesus because of his love and his grace. And it's just one evening I was sitting in my living room, I was reading a book and all of a sudden this, this emotion came over me. And I looked up and Jesus was literally standing in my living room in, in, a, in a fog, in a haze, in a cloud. And I knew, I knew, I knew for the first time that Jesus was real. And, and I knew that he loved me. And so I invited him into my life and he began to change my life. And my life is different today because Jesus Christ is real in me. And she wrote this song called The Woman at the Well. The lyrics go, staring at an empty bottle. I caught a glimpse of him. Now there's somebody listening today that last night was staring at an empty bottle because you thought that was the source of your hope. Staring at an empty bottle, I caught a glimpse of him and he met me there at the bottom. Maybe today you feel that you're at the bottom. Well, Jesus will meet you at the bottom. And he turned that wine into living water when a broken woman met the Savior of the world. Today, you can meet the Savior of the world. Revelation 3.20, Jesus said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone opens the door, I will come into them and have fellowship with them. Today, if you're at the bottom of the barrel or at the bottom of the bottle or the bottom of a broken relationship, I invite you to open the door of your heart and invite Jesus Christ into your life. Let him rule. Let him reign. Let him lead you toward purpose. Let him lead you toward peace. Let him help you realize your God-given potential to change the world. Father God, I thank you that today you're here. You're here every time that two or three believers gather together in the name of Jesus. You're here. But Father God, you, don't, you just don't want to be here. You want to be inside of here. You want to come into our lives and take up residency in our hearts, in our souls. Thank you, Jesus, for being willing to be crucified. And thank you, Jesus, for crucifying my sins. The old Jeff has been nailed to a cross. I thank you. And Father God, for that person here today or listening online, that right now in this moment, they would say yes to Jesus, confess their sins and receive him into their lives. And Father God, that they would have a testimony that would impact the world. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.